Ladies and gentlemen, the following segment of the podcast is presented exclusively by Hillsdale College. For over 175 years, four purposes have defined Hillsdale's mission, learning, character, faith, and freedom. Thank you for listening and my sincere appreciation to our brothers and sisters at Hillsdale for their great sponsorship. He's here. He's here. Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Mark Levin, our number, 877-381-3811, 877-381-3811. Here we are, paving the way, point of the spear, whatever you want to call it. Our show on Fox last Sunday will run again on Fox, either Saturday or Sunday. I'm trying to get confirmation of which day. And those of you who didn't watch it, I would strongly encourage you to watch it. Those of you who did, you might want to watch it again. Because it has triggered all this interest now in this subject of where the coronavirus came from. That's not to say some people weren't raising it. Some people weren't concerned about it. But it was the most thoroughgoing discussion by somebody who had expertly investigated it for a full year on television. And that's the nature of a long-form interview program. And the gentleman that I interviewed was not a right-winger, not a left-winger, not an any-winger. But he has a real pedigree when it comes to science. He was the senior editor for the science pages of the New York Times. And he agreed. It was shocking how incurious the media were. And he stated emphatically that after a year of researching this subject, there's not a single sliver of evidence that this coronavirus was from animals of any kind. That there was a jump from uh, bats or other animals to human beings. Not any evidence whatsoever. And I challenge any media organization that, that pushed that propaganda, which is all of them, I challenge any of them to present their evidence. Maggie Haberman at the New York Times, where's the evidence? Philip Bump at the Washington Post, where's the evidence? The AP, Reuters, Facebook, Twitter, 
Google. Where's the evidence? There's no evidence whatsoever. And then they say, well, where's your evidence that it came from a lab? Well, let's see. The lab actually did a whole lot of research on making the coronaviruses, multiple coronaviruses, lethal to human beings. The lab did not use a Category 4 safety protocol, used a Category 2 next to the lowest. The same kind of category that you see in a dentist's office. And of course, the Wall Street Journal has since reported that three of the staffers working at that lab got sick. Scientists have disappeared. Gee, I wonder why that is. The communist Chinese won't let anybody anywhere near the data. Now we have something called circumstantial. This is more than circumstantial evidence. I would bet this house that this came from the lab. Because there's no evidence that it came from animals to humans. That is propaganda from the communist Chinese, regurgitated by elements of our own government. They call them experts. A cover-up by one of the organizations that received the grant in New York, and which in turn passed through money to the lab in Wuhan. Just so happens the Wuhan lab where this virus broke out is creating these viruses. Now this is way too complicated for the New York Times and the Washington Post. Way too complicated for the conga line of stooges and frauds over there at CNN and MSNBC. Way, way over the head of our great news networks and the Today Show and Good Morning America and whatever the crap show is called on CBS. Oh, you must be a conspiracy theorist, a denier. This is the modern media today. But the Sunday show launched this intense interest. It did. It had been bouncing around here and there. This is the same sort of thing I want to do with the book American Marxism, and we all pull it together. It's number nine on Amazon right now, unfortunately. And that is to pull all these pieces together. Disparate pieces, not desperate, disparate pieces, where things are happening a little over here and a little over there, make sense out of them, and then target activism. I've got a lot to get to today. I also have two guests. I've had more guests this week than I've had months and months and months, but we do what we need to. I'm flexible here. But I want to discuss this Hunter Biden story in some detail, and then I want to discuss another major story that nobody's discussing, I don't believe. And we are going to have the person who broke this story in the New York Post on this program. What time, Mr. At 7.20. And so let me lay the foundation, as we say, as lawyers or as construction workers. In the New York Post. Now, the New York Post, remember, initially broke the story about Hunter Biden, and they were censored by big media and big tech in order to protect Joe Biden. Joe Biden is corrupt. The Biden family is corrupt. They're out there trying to create a case against Donald Trump, a multi-billionaire with God knows how many investments and so forth. But Biden is corrupt. 
And Miranda Devine, writing in the New York Post, Hunter Biden brought Vice President Joe to dinner with shady business partners. Joe Biden lied during the debates. He lied during the run-up to the election. The media lied on his behalf. The media covered up on his behalf, even now. He's told the intelligence agencies, 90 days to find out what happened to the coronavirus. Well, he killed the investigation that was taking place by the prior administration. He killed it in March. Because he was in full cover-up mode on behalf of the communist Chinese. Look, folks, I know I'm not a journalist, but then again, the journalists aren't journalists. I just have some level of intelligence, and I pull things together. It's simple, like we did back in March 2017, and I said that the president had been spied on, and he had been. Or when we broke the story here, with the help of a courageous doctor about what was going on in the nursing homes in New York, all these journalists, all the media, even all these commentators, pseudo-conservatives, way behind the ball. Unfortunately. Joe Biden met with Ukrainian, Russian, and Kazakhstani business associates of his sons at a dinner in Washington, D.C. while he was vice president. Records on Hunter Biden's abandoned laptop show. This is why the media wanted you to believe the laptop wasn't the real deal, but it's always been the real deal. And this is why they're going after Giuliani trying to destroy him, because this information was given from that computer, Mr. Fixit, in Delaware. The information was given to Giuliani and his partner, and they gave it to the New York Post. And now they want to destroy Giuliani, because that's the way... The Marxists operate. The dinner on April 16, 2015, was held in the private garden room at Cafe Milano, a Georgetown institution, whose catchphrase is, where the world's most powerful people go. The next day, Hunter received an email from Vadim Pazharsky, an executive of the Ukrainian energy company Burisma, to thank him for introducing him to his father, the vice president. Right there, Joe Biden said he didn't know anything about anything. And his his uh, surrogate said he never met with these people. He never talked to these people. They lied. And big tech and big media lied for them. Dear Hunter, it says, thank you for inviting me to D.C. and giving an opportunity to meet your father and spend some time together, Pazarski wrote on April 17, 2015. It's really an honor and a pleasure. At the time, Berinsky was paying Hunter $83,333 a month to sit on its board. Peter Schweizer and I talked about this early on, too. As this information was coming out of the New York Post, Schweitzer also, you might recall, and I had him on Life, Liberty, and Levin on Fox, as well as Levin TV, he'd actually written about some of this early on, and we had discussed it at some length early on. Now, the guest list prepared by Hunter three weeks before the Cafe Milano dinner included Russian billionaire Yelena Matarina and her husband, corrupt former Moscow mayor Yuri Laskov, who since has died. I guess he just had heartburn and it ended, Mr. Producer. I wonder how that happened. Now, she wired $3.5 million on February 14, 2014 to Rosemont Seneca Thornton LLC 
a Delaware-based investment firm. Why is that important? Co-founded by Hunter Biden and Devin Archer. Now, who's Devin Archer? A former advisor to Secretary of State John Kerry. The wires were flagged in suspicious activity reports provided by the Treasury to a Senate Republican inquiry into Hunter last year by the Homeland Security and Government Affairs Committee. It's another reason why the Republicans need to take both houses or at least one, because the Democrats are not going to open any investigations into anything. Neither did Mitch McConnell come to think of it, did he, Mr. Producer, when they held the Senate? Now, Hunter Biden told guests before this dinner that his father would be attending. In one email, he appears to use his role on the board of the World Food Program USA as a cover for the evening's true purpose of introducing his father to his business associates. And here we're supposed to believe that Joe Biden is a mannequin, that he's just a a big dummy walking into these things. He doesn't know what's going on. This is six years ago. He knows exactly what's going on, folks. There's only one Fredo right now. He's at CNN. Quote, okay, the reason for the dinner is ostensibly to discuss food security. Ostensibly. Which means not. Writes Hunter on March 26 to Michael Carlatos, son of the then head of the Greek Orthodox Church. Dad will be there, but keep that between us for now. Thanks. Carlatos replies, everything is between us. All good. I know you mentioned your dad would probably join the dinner as well. Now, keep something in mind again about this laptop. The American media wanted you to believe this was a Russian plant. From the New York Times to the Washington Post. From CNN to MSNBC. From CBS, ABC to NBC. From the Today program to Good Morning America to whatever the crap show is on CBS. The clowns at night who aren't even funny. Again, all cover-up artists. Yeah, they don't care about this country. They don't give a crap about this country. The dinner raises questions about how much Joe Biden, who has claimed ignorance of his son's activities, knew about Hunter's dealings with foreign businesses and government officials. Three officials from Kazakhstan also were invited to the Cafe Milano dinner, including Mark Holtzman, then chairman of the former Soviet Republic's largest bank, which I can't pronounce. An email from Burmese executive... Vladim Parhosky, a Mexican ambassador and representative of the World Food Program, USA. They were also guests on the list, which Hunter emailed to Archer three weeks before the dinner. Three seats for the Kazakhstans, this is a quote. Two seats for Yelena and husband, that's the Moscow crooked couple. Two seats for you and me, three seats for WFP USA people. One for Vladim, three ambassadors, Mexico, question mark, total of 14. It's unclear if everyone on Hunter's list attended. Archer, remember this former assistant to Kerry, emailed Hunter before the event to say that Baterina did not want to come, but her husband would attend. Yelena doesn't want to start Yuri's Thunder, so she'll be in town to meet with us, but doesn't want to come to dinner, Archer wrote on March 20. That was just her thoughts. We could insist. And it goes on. And I'm going to allow... And I want uh, the author who uncovered this information to explain it further, Miranda Devine, who we've not had on the program in the past, so we're fortunate to have her this evening. First time I've asked because, uh, well, she's quite ubiquitous, but this is very, very important. And uh, 
We have a crook in the White House. We have a liar in the White House. This guy is all tied up with these foreign governments through his son, through his brother, through other relatives. The media have let us down again, and they're going to continue to let us down. They're going to try and protect him as long as they possibly can. They now know Kamala Harris is a loser. They know she's an empty skirt. And so now they've got an empty skirt and an empty suit in the White House. I'll be right back. Are you worried about America's future? Times of trouble are full of reasons to despair. But those who built and have preserved our country didn't despair. And if we are going to do our part, we need to draw on the books, the history, and the ideas that gave our forefathers and mothers strength and inspiration. Hillsdale College was founded in 1844 to teach these things, and it teaches them still today. The great news is that we can all study these things along with Hillsdale College professors right in our homes. Through Hillsdale's free online courses, we can study the history of our civilization, the wisdom of ancient Judeo-Christian philosophers, and the writings of Shakespeare and Mark Twain. We can reacquaint ourselves with our Constitution. We can learn how the Constitution has been undermined, and more importantly, how it can be recovered. My friends, as we fight in defense of family, faith, and freedom, let us draw on the best of the past with Hillsdale's guidance to save the greatest nation on earth. Begin learning today at levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. A lot to cover today, so we're going to be moving quickly and yet thoroughly. I only have about a minute in this segment, but after the bottom of the hour, Blaze Media, picking up on a piece in the New York Times, climate activists elected to board of ExxonMobil after hedge funds push. Now, why does this matter? What is this all about? This is about everything. This matters enormously. How do climate activists get elected to the board of the biggest oil company in America, ExxonMobil, when their goal is to destroy ExxonMobil and to throw a monkey wrench into all fossil fuel exploration? How did this happen? What does this mean? Who's behind this? This isn't just some passing story, ladies and gentlemen. This is a big deal. And we have a lot to learn from our enemies on the left. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time discussing this. And I hope you'll stick with us. It's very important. And I'll be right back. Are you worried about America's future? Times of trouble are full of reasons to despair. But those who built and have preserved our country didn't despair. And if we are going to do our part, we need to draw on the books, the history, and the ideas that gave our forefathers and mothers strength and inspiration. Hillsdale College was founded in 1844 to teach these things, and it teaches them still today. The great news is that we can all study these things, along with Hillsdale College professors, right in our homes. Through Hillsdale's free online courses, we can study the history of our civilization, the wisdom of ancient Judeo-Christian philosophers, and the writings of Shakespeare and Mark Twain. 
We can reacquaint ourselves with our Constitution. We can learn how the Constitution has been undermined, and more importantly, how it can be recovered. My friends, as we fight in defense of family, faith, and freedom, let us draw on the best of the past with Hillsdale's guidance to save the greatest nation on earth. Begin learning today at levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. Do you ever talk back to your radio? Then you must be listening to Mark Levin. Pick up the phone and call 877-381-3811. Let's dig into this, ladies and gentlemen, over at The Blaze. A report that climate change activists will sit on the board of oil industry giant ExxonMobil in a historic first after a hedge fund successful campaign to push the energy firm toward renewables. You have to look at Marxists, like these scientific movies, The Alien. They take over the body, they suck out the brain, they suck out the blood, they suck out all the organs of the being. And they become hosts. That's what they do, whether it's our school systems, whether it's the Democrat Party, whether it's the media, whether it's academia whether it's the National Education Association, and now they're moving on these corporations. Now let's hear how they've done it. This is very, very important. The New York Times reported that Exxon shareholders voted Wednesday to elect, quote, at least two board candidates nominated by activist investors who pledged to steer the company toward cleaner energy and away from oil and gas. Now this is an oil company. A hedge fund dubbed Engine Number One put forward a slate of independent board candidates and was successful in its campaign to switch out board members. CNBC reported that Engine Number One, quote, has a 0.02% stake in Exxon, unquote, and, quote, has been targeting the company since December over the oil giant's need to shift away from fossil fuel dependency, unquote. The Hill reported that, quote, activist hedge fund, which has a minor stake in Exxon at just $50 million, was formed last year with the goal of shifting Exxon's approach to climate change. Now, Exxon has a market value of roughly $250 billion, but engine number one was able to gain the support of Exxon's top shareholders in its climate change initiative, winning, quote, the backing of the three biggest U.S. pension funds, the two biggest advisory services, and at least one of three of the biggest fund managers, reports the Washington Post. And the outlet noted that three fund managers, those three, BlackRock, Vanguard, oh, I have Vanguard mutual funds, I'll be getting out of Vanguard tomorrow, and State Street, who together hold more than 20% now of ExxonMobil shares. Exxon announced in a press release that preliminary vote estimates indicate that shareholders elected engine number one nominees Gregory Goff and Kaisa Haitala to the board. According to Axios, Haitala is a former renewables executive with the refining company Nesti and Goff, and Goff is the former CEO of the refiner Endeavor. We welcome all of our new directors and look forward to working with them constructively and collectively on behalf of all shareholders. Exxon Chairman and CEO Darren Woodson in a statement. God, are these guys bad. 
We've been actively engaging with shareholders and received positive feedback and support, particularly for our announcements relating to low-carbon solutions and progress in efforts to reduce costs and improve earnings, said the CEO. We heard from shareholders today about their desire to further these efforts, and we are well-positioned to respond. These aren't climate activists. These are degrowthers. These are radicals who purposely are backed by individuals who put up $50 million so they could create this fund and get their foot in the door. Then they worked over like-minded, radical hedge fund managers that have really big funds. And now they're sitting on the board of ExxonMobil. You see how they do it? You see how it's done? Just like taking over the teachers' unions. Just like taking over newsrooms. Just like taking over movie studios. Just like taking over the Democrat Party. This is how it's done. Targeting the biggest and most important energy company in the United States. So the cancer is now from within. Now this is a shocking thing. This is going on all over the country, as you'll learn and you'll see in American Marxism, all over the country. Now I can't sit here and read the book to you, I'm not going to. But this movement is a deeply radical extremist Marxist movement. And as I point out in American Marxism, this movement has as its purpose to abolish or cripple the capitalist economic system. And by necessity, constitutional republicanism and its emphasis on individuals and private property rights. For example, Gorgias Kallas, an ecological economist from Greece and a research professor whose influence is considerable among eco-radicals in the United States, explains in his book in defense of degrowth that sustainable growth is defined as an equitable downscaling of production and consumption that increases human well-being and enhances ecological conditions. He said it envisions a future wherein societies live within their ecological means, with localized economies with which distribute resources more equally through new forms of democratic institutions. These are Marxists. Material accumulation, he says, will no longer hold a central position in the cultural imagery. The primacy given to efficiency will be substituted by a focus on sufficiency. I guess they get to decide what's sufficient. The organizing principles will be simplicity, conviviality, and sharing. Innovation will no longer be directed to new technology for technology's sake, but to new social and technological arrangements. It will enable a convivial and, a, a convivial and frugal living. And I write again, one wonders, is Callus fantasizing about some kind of 1960s international hippie commune? And yet one also wonders how this nirvana will come to pass and itself be sustainable. That is, the very nature of the individual and mankind generally would require 
forced indoctrination, forced re-education, forced relocation in many instances. In other words, as Marx preached, the existing society must be abolished, its history, family, schools, and religions, which may well require a period of despotism to cleanse society of existing norms and replace them with the Marxist paradise. The picture that Callus and other radicals paint is nothing like the inevitable horrific nightmare their abstract dreams would unleash. So this book, American Marxism, isn't just a theoretical exercise. I'm attaching to current events the ideology that's behind it and many of the people who are behind it. Now Callus continues, sustainable degrowth. You got that? It's not sustainable growth. It's sustainable degrowth. Sustainable degrowth denotes an intentional process of a smooth and prosperous way down through a range of social, environmental, and economic policies and institutions, orchestrated to guarantee that while production and consumption decline, human welfare improves and is more equally distributed. Marx. Various concrete and practical proposals are being debated for enabling such degrowth transitions. These include both policy institutional changes within the current system. Within the current system. Such as drastic changes to financial institutions, resource and pollution caps and sanctuaries, infrastructure moratoria, eco-taxes, work sharing and reduced work hours, basic income and social security guaranteed for all, as well as ideas for creating new spaces outside of the system, such as eco-villages and co-housing, cooperative production and consumption, various systems of sharing, or community-issued and regulated currencies, barter, non-money market exchanges, exiting the economy to create new spaces of simplicity, Sharing and conviviality, they like that word, is the driving motto of degrowth. You know what he's describing, Mr. Producer? North Korea. And as I point out, Marxism dressed up as a green movement is still Marxism, at least in significant part. Moreover, exiting the economy would create not sharing and conviviality, but need, poverty, and indolence. And the overall decline of the civil society and the quality of life. One can envision how the purposeful shrinking of the economy would destroy conviviality and in fact create an explosive societal reaction by reducing the supply of even necessities, food, medicine, energy, clothing, housing, while increasing the demand for basics, people chasing the availability of fewer and fewer necessities. Even where the shrinking of an economy is not purposeful but inevitable, such as certain types of communist regimes, Venezuela, North Korea, in the past, Cambodia clearly is unmanageable once unbridled, and the consequences for the people who live in these places, both in terms of human dignity and liberty, even survivability, become horribly dire. They're trying to take over ExxonMobil, ladies and gentlemen. And now that they saw they got two seats on the board of directors, this is going to be heavily funded by billionaires who make investments based on how they can destroy competition and destroy the wealth of other people and destroy this country. Corporatists. International corporatists. Working with Marxists to the same ends. 
Soros. Just one of many examples. I will not be here tomorrow. And of course I won't be here on Memorial Day. So I will be back on Tuesday. But I want to encourage you to pre-order your copies, please, of American Marxism. If you're going to get it, I really want you to have it the day it, it comes out so we can really hit the ground running. You can see events are running away. They're running away from us. And time is of the essence. And if you can afford, and I'm not pressing, please. Maybe you have some children. I'm not talking about six years old, but I am talking about 16, 18, 20, 25, 30, 40. Our grandchildren, that is age levels, age levels. And yourself, as you'll see when we start talking about the book once it's released, to be firmly involved in this. I keep saying we must understand this enemy if we're going to defeat it. This enemy is on the move. I understand there's a lot of books people want to read. I see it. I don't blame you. Summer's upon us. And so we have actors writing books. We have people writing books about themselves. We have people writing books about psychology and how to live your life. I'm not doing any of that. I never do any of that. I'm not trained to do that. I'm not your daddy. I'm not your granddad. I am who I am, to quote Popeye the Sailor Man. But I know who I am, and I know what we're doing, and I know what else we need to do, in my opinion. So I won't be here tomorrow, Friday, to talk about this. I won't be here Saturday or Sunday or Monday, so it's up to you. We're almost at the 100,000 mark. Almost there. And again, I believe if we hit it, then we're going to have a massive movement. That's my hope, that's my prayer, that's my intention, that's where my energy is. Now this program, last Sunday where we really broke open this whole issue of where did this coronavirus come from, Fox has decided to rerun it on Saturday, despite my asking them to run it on Sunday. I don't know who makes these decisions. Obviously somebody a hell of a lot smarter than I am. But it'll be on Sunday, 7 p.m. Eastern. I would encourage you to watch it. I'll be right back. Are you worried about America's future? Times of trouble are full of reasons to despair. But those who built and have preserved our country didn't despair. And if we are going to do our part, we need to draw on the books, the history, and the ideas that gave our forefathers and mothers strength and inspiration. Hillsdale College was founded in 1844 to teach these things, and it teaches them still today. The great news is that we can all study these things along with Hillsdale College professors right in our homes. Through Hillsdale's free online courses, we can study the history of our civilization, the wisdom of ancient Judeo-Christian philosophers, and the writings of Shakespeare and Mark Twain. We can reacquaint ourselves with our Constitution. We can learn how the Constitution has been undermined, and more importantly, how it can be recovered. My friends, as we fight in defense of family, faith, and freedom, let us draw on the best of the past with Hillsdale's guidance to save the greatest nation on earth. Begin learning today at levinforhillsdale.com, L-E-V-I-N for Hillsdale.com, levinforhillsdale.com. I might as well tell you now, on June 11th, which would be my father's birthday, and I'm doing great. 
health-wise and physically, I will be having surgery. Um, and that's on a Friday, and I hope to be back on that Monday. So I'm trying to get this movement and the launch of this movement and the fight to get our country back. And by that, I mean all of us with diverse backgrounds and histories get our freedom back. I'm trying to get this all organized now as, as much as possible with your help. And so for the next four days, I will not be here, obviously, to, to be encouraging you to, to acquire a copy of this book early. And during the surgery period, I won't either. So some of you are saying, why does he keep talking about it? Because I have to. If I don't talk about it, who's going to talk about it? Some other host on TV or radio? No. I have to do it. I have to write it. I have to discuss it. I have to, you know, talk about it after it comes out. That's the nature of this thing. Now, I could pull out, you know, page 18 of the New York Times, and we can do that. But what's the point of that? There is no point of that. And that's why you're the smartest and best audience of any audience in radio or TV. Because you get all this. You understand. We've got a lot more, ladies and gentlemen, including the uh, wonderful author who wrote that piece about uh, uh, Joe Biden and Hunter Biden. Uh, She will be on in about 23, 24 minutes. So we'll be right back. here. Now broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello America, Mark Levin, our number 877-381-3811-877-381-3811. I'm reminded, I do like to keep my promises, that I said I would tell you something today. And so I want to tell you something, and that is this. I want to thank those of you who've jumped in with both feet. There have been now 93,000 pre-orders of the hardcover copy of American Marxism. There had been a total of 106,000 pre-orders, including those 93 hardcover and e-books and audio. So the goal is to get the number of hardcover books up over 100,000. Now, again, let's do a little inside baseball. Why does that matter? Because hardcover books get passed along from person to person. So if you order a copy and you read it, you can give it to your spouse, you can give it to your kids, something like that. Because they last. They move along into the system. E-books do not. Audios are great, but most people don't share them. They'll listen in the car and they'll throw it in the glove compartment. And they're not a significant percentage of the units that are that are acquired by customers. So this is why I talk about hardcover all the time. Hardcover. Because once you read it, you don't throw it away. Maybe you'll put it on your shelf. Maybe you'll say, hey, Frank, you may want to check this book out. And that's what we're trying to do. We're trying to build momentum. And we're going to try and build momentum 
first by the pre-orders. I have a whole strategy here. And so many of you are really are really into this now. It's very important. And then when the book comes out, spread far and wide, all of us. And I'll be doing a big kind of media blitz as best I can for a period of a, of a few weeks. And then hopefully this thing will launch and there'll be newspaper articles about the wonderful things you're doing to get your country back. But again, the book is written in a way where we have to lay out the issues, the problems, where they're coming from. You, I, I give you little snippets, and I apologize. That's all I can do right now. But when I see things that happen in the boardroom of Exxon, and I know it relates directly to something in the book, and I barely even touched on it, then I want you to be aware of this. I want you to be aware of it. You're purchasing something that's like, if you get it on Amazon, it's almost 40% of $17 and some change. Well, that's real money. And for a lot of people, it's not so easy. And so I just want you to know that this uh, this isn't some joke. And the other thing is, if I don't talk about it, seriously, there's nobody else who can because I wrote it. It's not out yet. And so this is, this is how I have to do this. And I want to do it. I'm excited about this. I'm motivated about this. When you write your own book, and it's a deep book, it's not so simple. It's a very solitary thing. You can ask my wife, getting up 2, 3 in the morning to go downstairs, writing notes to yourself, wherever you are. It's constantly on your mind. In some ways it becomes a burden. And the, really what seems at the time like endless research, 95% of what I read is on the cutting room floor. It's only a very small percentage that I feel is relevant and important, compelling and even profound. And so when you undertake a project like this, it is a big deal. It's in many ways a one-man operation except for the family that has to suffer through your... You want to know the truth? The ups and downs of your emotions, because some of this is tough. I don't mean intellectually tough, I mean emotionally tough, what you're reading and what's happening to your country. You're experiencing this. And so you can see little pockets of resistance out there, of pushback out there, and that's important. And I'm convinced that the majority, if not the vast majority of the American people love their country. They don't want it destroyed by a relative, relative small group of Marxists. And that this, this, this treacherous racism that's being dressed up as righteousness and the treacherousness of the transgender movement, if somebody needs or wants an operation, that's up to them. But it shouldn't be a movement, per se. Or the degrowth, anti-capitalist movement that's dressed up in polar bears and clean air and clean water. All this needs to be unraveled and then put back together again in a way that makes sense to us. And that's what I've tried to do. I'm not Dr. Seuss. 
I'm not Oprah Winfrey. Just little old me. And these are the people who, not Dr. Seuss, but these others, who were uh, competing with in order to draw the attention of the nation. And if when I come back, when I come back after Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and Monday, and I come on back on the air on Tuesday, and if we've hit 100,000 or more hardcover, we're going to make a big deal out of that. Because right now, they think that ignoring us and pretending this isn't going on is going to make us go away. They are sorely mistaken. Sorely mistaken. And I gave you this number today to give you hope, to excite you, to get you to participate in this process. And let's see where it takes us. Let's see where it takes us. I hope this makes sense. I really hope it makes sense, because I don't know where we go from here if it doesn't. Now, I finally got a copy of this book. Now, it's a paperback copy. It's not a paperback version, but it's the like pre-publication version. And I'm harder on myself than anybody else. And I started reading it last night, reading it, reading it, reading it, going to the back section that talks about things that we can do. And I put it down, and I said, okay. Okay, Mark, you did a good job. But you're going to be the final judge. You will be the final judge. I'm going to take a break now because we have a very important guest coming on about a very important subject, Miranda Devine. And she has a book coming out in September called Laptop from Hell. But the reason we've invited her on is everybody's talking about what she's revealed. So I thought she should talk about what she's revealed because nobody knows it better than she does. That's Miranda Devine of the New York Post. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs with the absolute best consumer service team based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com. And enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L E V I N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. Very important piece of news in the New York Post today, thanks to Miranda Devine. How are you, Miranda Devine? We've never met. I'm really well, Mark. Lovely to talk to you. It's a pleasure. Love your accent, by the way. Has anybody ever told you that? <laughs> Thank you. That's very kind of you. Um, very serious subject here. The media, both the new media, that is big tech and the old media, have done their best to cover up the Hunter Biden story, the laptop, and all the rest of it. 
you've been really hawking this, really on top of it. And you broke a story today. What is the essence of this story? I talked about it, but you should speak for yourself. Well, it's the final evidence that Joe Biden has met with his son Hunter's business associates from overseas. He met uh, with Ukrainian, Russian and Kazakhstani uh, business associates of Hunter's who were enriching Hunter at a dinner at Cafe Milano in Washington, D.C. in 2015 when he was vice president. And this was a dinner uh, in the private garden room at Cafe Milano, very well-known restaurant in Georgetown. Um, and, uh, you know, there were uh, Kazakhstani um, bankers, uh, Kazakhstani members of the government. Uh, there was also on the guest list, we're not sure if she came, uh, but it, the, um, the, the now widow of the former corrupt mayor of Moscow, Elena Baturina, who wired $3.5 million to um, a, a company in Delaware uh, that was co-founded by Hunter Biden and his business partner, Devin Archer, who also was at the dinner and uh, was a former uh, senior advisor to John Kerry, the then Secretary of State. Um, now, she may not have come because we have an email in which she said she didn't want to come. She wanted to let her husband come instead. And that was the corrupt former mayor, now deceased, um, Yuri. I can't remember his last name. But uh, so he was on the guest list. Uh, and it, uh, we know the guest list because Hunter Biden sent it to Devin Archer three weeks before this dinner that he had his secretary book. Uh, and he had uh, three seats for our Kazakhstan friends, two seats for Yelana, that's Bacharina, and her husband, Yuri, two seats for you and me, that was Devon and Hunter, three seats for World Food Program USA People, that was a, a non-profit that he is on, what was then on the board of, which was the American fundraising arm of the United Nations non-profit. Uh, it only collects money, donations from Americans, so it would have absolutely no reason to uh, meet with foreigners. However, um, Hunter Biden, when he was describing um, this meeting in which he was telling the guests that his father would be there, he also said that um, ostensibly it is about food security, um, but really, I mean, the reason was so that his father could meet these foreign business associates of his. And then there was another seat there for Vadim Pozorowski, who's the senior executive from Burisma, which is the Ukrainian uh, corrupt energy company that was paying Hunter Biden $83,000 a month, a uh, million dollars a year, to sit on its board to do very little. He didn't have the, any prerequisites to sit on that board, any expertise. Um, and uh, he just... As far as I can see from the laptop, he signed a few documents that were emailed to him without question, and he went once a year to uh, a swish board meeting somewhere in Europe. It would be Paris or Monaco. Uh, so not an arduous uh, amount of work for that amount of money. But, of course, um, two months after Joe Biden left office as vice president um, in 2017, his money from Burisma was cut in half. I have an email from Vadim, the Burisma, uh, his Burisma benefactor, telling him that his compensation um, would be changed. And then, of course, the invoices after that came to only 41000 odd um, per month. Uh, and then there was 
another group of people who were invited or were on the guest list to the dinner, and they are three ambassadors. Uh, Hunter only specified one from Mexico. The other two were still up in the air. This was, of course, three weeks before, and he was discussing with Devon. Um, and we know uh, the people who, who went to the dinner because they wrote thank you emails to Hunter afterwards uh, or texts, uh, which we have. And um, one of the thank you emails was from Vadim Pozorowski, uh, the, the Burisma executive, and he said, Dear Hunter, thank you for inviting me to DC and giving an opportunity to meet your father and spend some time together. He wrote that the day after that uh, that dinner on April 17, 2015. And we had that we had that email in October. That was in that first tranche of stories that we published. The the blockbuster stories three weeks before the election that uh, Facebook and Twitter then censored and the rest of the media ignored. Uh, we had that email then, and that was a pretty significant email because it put to the lie Joe Biden's continual denials that he had anything to do with Hunter's business dealings. In fact, uh, Peter Ducey from Fox News um, asked Joe Biden on the campaign trail in 2019, September in Des Moines, Iowa, he asked him uh, about his uh, knowledge of his son's business dealings overseas and Joe Biden Biden said quote I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. Let, let me play this montage for you it's short it's 30 seconds of Biden's and this is only part of it repeated false claims that he never spoke with his son about any of this cut one go how many times have you ever spoken to your son about his overseas business dealings? I've never spoken to my son about his overseas business dealings. I have never discussed with my son or my brother or anyone else anything having to do with their businesses, period. And what I will do is the same thing we did in our administration. There will be an absolute wall between personal and private uh, and, and, and the government. Do you stand by your statement that you did not discuss any of your son's overseas business yes, dealings? Yes, I stand by that statement. Now, Miranda Devine, if there's going to be equal treatment of presidents and administrations, and I'm quite serious about this, where are the calls for special counsel investigation? Where are the calls for spe- I don't hear a Republican calling for a special counsel investigation. You have a hell of a lot more here than they ever had with Donald Trump. I mean, uh, you've pretty well put a bow on this. It's not a matter now of whether or not he knew of his son's business dealings. He attended a meeting with some of his son's business partners and some of his son's uh, associates as vice president of the United States. That makes this matter far worse than e- any of the allegations that they used against President Trump or his family. Do they not? Well, it looks looks like that to me. I mean, at least you're talking about Farrah violations. Um, and, I mean, we also have a story that we're working on, um, uh, basically a photograph that exists. Uh, it's on a Kazakhstan corruption website, um, anti-corruption website, sorry. And uh, we have to verify it. Um, but it shows uh, Hunter Biden, Joe Biden... Um, we think it's that night, uh, the Kazakhstan Prime Minister of that time, Karim Mazamov, and also um, a Kazakhstan oligarch, 
uh, who was Hunter was having various business dealings with, and who also turns up in that uh, that Senate uh, inquiry that's very important that uh, Senator Ron Johnson and Chuck Grasley did last year and was ignored by most of the media and also traduced by Democrats as being uh, Russian disinformation. Mm-hmm. Um, just like the laptop was. Um, and in that, uh, in their inquiry, they found the $3.5 million from Yelena Baturina, but they also found $400,000-odd um, that was... Oh, no, sorry, not $143,000 that was wired uh, from this uh, Kazakhstani oligarch, we think, was at this dinner, um, to uh, a company um, that was uh, founded by Devon Archer. So, um, and, it, and the little note attached to it says, for a car. Let me, let me ask you some questions very quickly. Have you been invited on the Today Show to discuss this? <laughs> no. Have you been de- invited on Good Morning America? Of course not. Have you been invited on any of the network television shows, ABC, CBS, NBC? Of course not. Have you been invited on the Morning Joe sh- Show to discuss this? <laughs> no. How about uh, by anybody on CNN? No. No, the point is, the point is we have this Praetorian Guard media. You've laid out a very powerful case based on actual hard evidence, and they still have no interest whatsoever. Miranda Devine, I have to go. I really want to thank you for what you're doing. This is very, very important. We're going to keep an eye on it. We're going to keep promoting it. And uh, good luck to you. Well, Just... There'll be a lot more in my book when it comes up in September. You know what? Let's hold you over so you can talk about that. We'll be right back. The new American Revolution starts here. The Mark Levin Show. Call in at 877-381-3811. Well, I didn't mean to be rude, but I was to Miranda Devine because uh, she has a wonderful book coming out in September. Go ahead and tell us about it. Oh, thank you so much, Mark. Uh, Well, it's coming out in September. It's called Laptop from Hell, and it is the forensic on the laptop. It is everything, the layout, the timeline, the thousands of documents I've spent the last five months going through, every email, every text message, every document, memo, calendar entries. Uh, it's, It's a bombshell of a story, and also I've augmented it with the Tony Bobolinsky material that was contained in his three phones that he handed over to the FBI. I also have that. Um, and then, of course, the, the Grasley-Johnson report with all the, the uh, important transactions that were flagged as suspicious foreign transactions that have gone into the... Uh, you know, lots of millions of dollars have gone into the bank accounts associated with uh, Hunter Biden and and Jim Biden and their business associates. So you put all those pieces of the jigsaw puzzle together and, you know, I'll let, I'll let the American people make their decision, but to me it's a very compelling story. You better keep that manuscript in a vault somewhere so nobody gets to it, I can tell you that. <laughs> um, where, where is this laptop and hard, hard drive now? We know Rudy must have had one because the FBI goes in there. It's the one piece of information they don't want, which is kind of remarkable. 
Mm. Well, there, there were various copies made of the hard drive. So it's like a complete clone of um, the contents of the laptop. So you plug it into another laptop and it, it just it's as if you're looking at Hunter's laptop. It's everything that's on there. So um, and, and that copy of the hard drive, of course, was made by John Paul Mac Isaac, who was the Delaware uh, Mac repair book guy. So I have uh, a copy and, uh, you know, that's why I've been going through it avidly. Um, and obviously Rudy has a couple of copies and Bob Costello, who's his um, lawyer, who was the initial man who who actually got the the, uh, the laptop or the hard drive, um, he, he was the first one to go through it and he and Rudy, first of all, did their own due diligence for a couple of weeks and then we, of course, at the Post did our own due diligence. And, uh, and of course, and now, uh, Facebook and Twitter tried to kill it. Absolutely. They... Twitter locked the New York Post account for two weeks and only unlocked it three days before the election. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's like the vaccine information coming out three days after the election. <laughs> well, listen, exactly. this is very, very important what you've done and what you're doing, Miranda. And we'll definitely want to have you back when your book comes out. And I want to thank you very much. Terrific. Lovely to talk to you, Mark. All right. God bless. I want you to think about this. President Trump is under investigation by a state grand jury in New York City being pushed by the local prosecutor there as an elected Democrat, Vance, who's a disgusting disgrace, and by the attorney general there who, when she came into office, said she was targeting Trump. They're always looking for issues to go against Trump. Meanwhile, you've got quite serious issues of criminality and ethics at a minimum served on a platinum platter the media do not want to touch it prior to the election they covered it up including big tech and to my knowledge nobody at the United States Department of Justice in Washington DC is investigating this I know there is a US attorney somewhere in Pennsylvania supposedly investigating Hunter Biden but I'm talking about his activities in Washington DC this meeting other things of this sort Where's Maggie Haberman? Is she going to blame this on Donald Trump too? What a fraud. And the rest of the media in this country? It's really appalling. But this is where we are. This is why it takes brave people to come forward and so forth. Now, Biden's in Ohio today. In addition to getting an ice cream cone. What is he, four years old, Mr. Producer? I want you to listen to his repetition of a line that was used against Ronald Reagan, who slashed taxes for individuals across the board, who slashed taxes for businesses, American businesses, and we actually had the biggest economic growth in modern American history, only matched by Donald Trump, two men who knew how to cut taxes and support American business. I want you to listen to him. Cut two, go. And now we're faced with a question. What kind of economy are we going to build for tomorrow? What are we going to do? Listen listen to how sanctimonious and self-aggrandizing this man is. Or self-righteous is the best word. He's going to build the economy. It's a man who's been rotting in Washington, D.C. for half a century. He's never built a damn thing in his life. Nothing. Go ahead. I believe 
These tired, worn phrases, we're going to build it from the bottom up and the middle out. Nobody has any idea what this unhinged autocrat is saying or the unhinged autocrats have said who've used that phrase before. We're going to build it from the bottom up? Now, what does that mean? What, uh, seriously, what does it mean? We're going to build the economy from the bottom up. First of all, he's not building anything. The economy is not government. The economy is not government. The economy is we, the people. We're going to build it from the bottom up and the middle out. Go ahead. Not a trickle-down economy from the very wealthy. What does that mean? What does that mean? He never gives a speech talking up the country. He never gives a speech talking up our economic system. He never gives an encouraging speech about we the people. It's always divide us, a caste system, a class system, Marxism. We are going to build this. Who are are we? Who's he talking about? You know, we're working. We're not the bottom up, middle out, top down, trickle down, trickle up. You just work. That's what you do. But this is a, uh, a mind. You know what I've noticed? Really stupid people are the most arrogant of the bunch. Go ahead. It's never benefited people who are at this college or any other place where they're work trying to make a living. What are you talking about, you idiot? Go ahead. To build an economy that rewards work, not just wealth. An economy that rewards work, not just wealth. What does that mean? What does it mean? Why does he think people work? Because they want to make a living. They want to have a family. They want to put a little away for a vacation, a little away for a pension. They want to contribute to their country. What does he mean we want an economy that rewards work, not just wealth? Where are the Obamas today? They're worth a quarter of a billion dollars. Apparently they want an economy that rewards wealth. Where's Al Gore today? He's worth a quarter of a billion dollars. Now they weren't worth money coming into office. They made money after office. How about that? How about Joe and Jill, excuse me, Dr. Jill and Mr. Hyde. Dr. Jill and Mr. Hyde, where were they? The two years prior to running for office, they pocketed about $17 million in speeches Can you imagine that? Somebody paid money to listen to this guy? I wonder what that was all about. And then they filed tax returns. Tax returns. As small businesses. So they wouldn't have to contribute to Medicare and Obamacare. Is that what he means? Bottom up? Middle out? Side in? Side out? I don't know. There's nothing worse than a really stupid guy, a halfwit, who speaks self-righteously. You go, oh my God, who is this guy? Shouldn't he be wearing a raincoat on the corner on a soapbox? 
Trying to sell cigarettes or something? I mean, go ahead. For the backbone of this country, the people who get up every single day work ah, hard. Shut up, you idiot. People who get up every single day and work. You're not one of them. When's the last time you did that in the private sector? Never. In fact, when's the last time Kamala Harris did it? Never. When's the last time Schumer did it? Never. When's the last time Pelosi did it? Never. Who the hell do you think you're lecturing, halfwit? We'll be right back. Lovin. Over 2,000 of you, my listeners, made the switch from overpriced wireless carriers to Pure Talk over the past few months. We want the rest of you to join us and to see what we're talking about. If you're with AT&T and Verizon or T-Mobile, your family could save over $800 a year just by switching to Pure Talk. You get great coverage, you can keep your phone and your number, and you'll save a fortune. Pure Talk is the top-rated wireless company by Consumer Affairs, with the absolute best consumer service team based right here in America. Does that sound good? Well, it gets better. Right now, get unlimited talk, text, and six gigs of data, just $30 a month. And if you go over on data, they don't charge you for it. They don't care. Go to puretalkusa.com and enter promo code Levin Podcast. Again, puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin, L-E-V-I-N Podcast. And when you do, you'll save 50% off your first month. That's puretalkusa.com, promo code Levin Podcast. Pure Talk USA, simply smarter wireless. I tell this story about having a steak with the President of the United States? I think I did, didn't I, Mr. Producer? For those who are new to us, and not just once, uh, this is not a national security secret. It's not a confidence. I don't think the President would mind. That is President Trump, when I say President. Um, President likes his steak well done. I mean, really well done. Your host, me, Likes his steak. Well done. The President of the United States likes his steak with ketchup. Heinz ketchup. Your host, that would be me, likes his steak with ketchup. And I gotta tell you, President Trump is so gracious. Seriously. He's such a gentleman. If you if you could get to know him the way I've gotten to know him. Not the way the press portrays him and so forth. He's, he's a very, very nice man. So the first time this happened, I, with, with my wife present, it's me, my wife, I think Hannity was there, somebody else, uh, the president, the first lady, and uh, maybe a few other people, I just don't remember. So my wife is not thrilled with these well-done steaks with ketchup. Can you imagine that, Mr. Producer? You're with her? Well, but she's gotten used to it. I don't mean eating it. You know, it's her husband. That's the way he wants to eat it. That's the way he wants to eat it. So, but I heard that the president likes his steak well done with ketchup, but I didn't ever see it. So the first time he orders his steak well done, I said, well, look at that. I like mine well done, too. And then the ketchup comes, and I said, wow, can I have ketchup too? (laughs) 
And I turned to my wife and I said, See that? The President of the United States eats his steak the way I eat mine. So that went over well. But anyway, uh, but the last time we saw him, he was actually, he had lost a lot of weight. He was, he was, uh, he was svelte. You know what svelte means, Mr. Producer? Not skinny, just well-proportioned. In good shape. In good shape. Trickle-down economics, ladies and gentlemen. They used to say this about Ronald Reagan. Ronald Reagan won two massive landslides. Because apparently trickle-down economics isn't the same of what trickles down Joe Biden's leg when he's not wearing Depends. May I say that, Mr. Producer? Is that okay? And what Reagan created was 25 million jobs. Jobs that were created not just through his eight years, but through the eight years of Clinton, for which Clinton took credit but did nothing. Massive economic growth. The economy of the United States grew 25% during Ronald Reagan's term as president. Donald Trump slashes taxes. The economy is growing. Unemployment among minorities, lower than we've ever seen. Lower than we've ever seen. And the economy, even after the virus, was all set to pick up. And here we have the dummy, Slow Joe, going on. And we're going to build the economy, bottom up, middle out, top down, side to side, left to right, right to left, north from south. Excuse us, Joe. You have no idea what the hell you're talking about. You can barely get the words out of your mouth, let alone the thoughts through your brain. The people who get up every single day and work hard and raise their families, pay their taxes. Oh, you mean like the people who worked at the Keystone XL pipeline, those people? You mean the people who work in the energy industry and the steel mills and the automobile assembly lines who you're going to put out of work, those people? With all the illegal aliens coming across the border and the jobs being taken? Really, he, it's the people who get up every day and work hard. Americans who raise their families and pay their taxes. Really, Joe? That's who you're looking out for? No, you're not. You're looking out for the Marxist environmentalists, so-called. You're looking out for critical race theory. You're looking out for critical gender theory. You're not looking out for the people of the United States. You're driving inflation through the roof. The price of gasoline, the price of food, the price of everything. Wood, plastic, steel. And those damn plugs in your head. The people who get up every single day, work hard, raise their families... Serve their country. Oh, yeah, he's a big one on serving the country. Ask the, ask the police officers. How's Joe treating you, folks? Ask the military. Oh, yeah, the volunteer who helped their communities. What a jackass. May I say that? I think I will. I mean, they called our president Hitler. I would never call him Hitler, but I can call him a jackass, can't I? I would never say anything about stormtroopers. Pelosi did that, right? I'll be right back. Ladies and gentlemen, this final hour of the podcast is sponsored exclusively by AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens. Now over 2 million conservative members strong, AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we care about, faith, family, and freedom. Thank you for listening, and please support AMAC. And you can become a member at amac.us slash join. He's here. He's here. 
Now, broadcasting from the underground command post, deep in the bowels of a hidden bunker, somewhere under the brick and steel of a nondescript building, we've once again made contact with our leader, Mark Levin. Hello, America. Mark Levin here. Our number, 877-381-3811. Memorial Day is Monday. I won't be on the air Monday. It's a national holiday. People run to the beach, the mountains. Who knows? But for some, it's a time of mourning because they've lost friends and family members. And all of us should take more than a moment out of the day on Monday to remember this. Black Lives Matter in Antifa believes that America is a colonialist, imperialist country. And that's the purpose of the United States military. They will not be mourning the death of men and women who died in service to this country. Will the people who support that organization and those organizations be mourning What happened to the men and women who died defending this country? In service to this country? Will they be doing that at the NBA? Will they be doing that in the newsrooms across the country? How about the mayors and the governors that embraced Black Lives Matter and pretended that Antifa was an idea? How do you embrace... Antifa, Black Lives Matter, and these Marxist movements that attack the very existence of this country, the nature of our government, and the military, and then tell us that you care about those who perished serving this country on Memorial Day. It's a serious question. But we honor the men and women who serve this country We try to do it every day, and we do it every Memorial Day, every Veterans Day. And so in honor of those who have passed and their families, the Marines.
Sports. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead, A-M-A-C dot U-S. You know, Dr. Nicole Sapphire is one of a group of really outstanding, honest doctors. You can see her on Fox that have walked us through this pandemic from day one, not going with the crowd, going with the real science. And I've never talked to her. I've never met her. Dr. Sapphire, how are you? Thank you so much for having me. It's great to officially meet you. Well, it's a pleasure. And uh, you've got a new book, and it's actually out, not coming out. It's out, Panic Attack. Playing politics with science in the fight against COVID-19. There has been a hell of a lot of politics played with this by mayors and governors and even the federal government, hasn't there? Well, there sure has. I mean, and they just aren't stopping. And I guess in the beginning, you can kind of try and say, all right, well, we understand there's chaos happening. But I mean, look what's unfolded. 
where there's been scandals that has called like faulty data being used. You've had governors using restrictions to their own benefit. And it's just been the weaponization of science that has made this entire crisis so much worse. Now, you're a, pra- you're a practicing physician, correct? Correct. Full-time still. You know, I have a stepdaughter who is about to take residency. She just graduated last week from uh, medical school, and it's a tremendous amount of work to get through medical school, then do the residency. I mean, people don't realize it. You know, you have slip-and-fall lawyers. I'm not one of them, but they're out there. <laughs> and, you know, they go to law school, they think they have a tough. It's a lot of work and a lot of scrutiny and a lot of tests and a lot of practicing to get through your profession to become somebody as as competent as you are and and to be able to speak about these things and write about these things. And so it must be a real what can I say just a real downer, a real turnoff when you see other people in your profession or or uh, so-called scientific experts who you know are not telling the American people the truth or are fudging. Well, I can tell you, you know, uh, when I wrote this book, when I was researching for it, it it was very frustrating. Throughout the course of this pandemic, I have always been the person who I stay true to my beliefs and what I believe is my interpretation of the science. You know, I am not I'm not radical in any way, shape or form. I, some of my opinions go against the grain. Um, but I had been called anti-science, promoting conspiracy theories and just like a harm for, for many uh, media outlets that it's um you know, I, could say, I would say it's upsetting, but it's, it's interesting now to see many of those articles being retracted as we speak in, in light of certain uh, news that has come out the last few weeks. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, but, you know, for someone to call me, who I, I, I truly hold myself in a regard in the sense that I am that person, when you say follow the science, I'm like, I will follow the science mm-hmm. because that's what I do in my nature. Um, but that's just not what's been happening. Yeah, uh, because... Them, because... Of course. Too many of the people speaking are not practicing physicians. You know, they're bookworms. Now, that said, we now have uh, more and more information coming out. And finally, the, uh, the, the left media and others are, oh, really? That this, this, this virus may have come out of this lab that actually collects these viruses and then tries to make them more lethal? I interviewed a guy last Sunday who used to work at the New York Times. He was their science editor. He said there's not one shred of evidence anywhere that anybody has, and he's not pushing a lab theory, he's just saying that this went from a bat or an animal to a human being. Are you aware of any? So I can tell you in the book there's an entire chapter dedicated to exploring the viral origin theories. And, you know, first of all, I studied microbiology and immunology in my undergrad. So I have a basic concept of how a lot of this works. And so, yes, most outbreaks are going to occur when you have that natural spillover Animals to humans, yes, yes, yes. We saw that with SARS and MERS. And we always saw the virus, they always found the virus in that intermediate host, whether it was the camel or the civet or whatever it may be. Well, with SARS-CoV-2, they haven't found it yet. But then they also were denying some coincidences and strange occurrences. And the fact that the Wuhan Institute of Virology is about eight miles away from that wet market where they said the outbreak occurred. And it's not just any Institute of Virology. It's an institute that does known coronavirus research. It's like the mecca of coronavirus research Mm -hmm. across the globe. And they've published the data that they are working with coronaviruses and inserting very similar mutations as that is the SARS-CoV-2 virus circulating now. 
Now, could that have happened in nature, those mutations? Yes. But you can't deny all of these coincidences. You have to at least be able to ask questions. Mm -hmm. But because President Trump mentioned the possibility, uh, the knee-jerk anti-Trumpism said anybody who agreed with him was racist and anti-science. The book is Panic Attack, Playing Politics with Science in the Fight Against COVID-19. You can get it at Amazon.com, any bookstore out there. It's, it's available right now. By the way, if somebody wants a signed copy, where do they go? PremierCollectibles.com. Uh, we just did a live signing. It was a great time with Jillian from Fox & Friends first. If anyone knows her, we had a great time. Good friend of mine. Very, very good. And um, have you lost any patience as a result of speaking out as you do or gained patience for that matter? Uh, well, I certainly um, get a lot of patients that come to me. One, you know, I'm not a primary care doctor. I, you know, mm. I'm a specialist. I'm a breast radiologist, so mm. I diagnose breast cancer. But I can tell you, I, I have a lot of patients who know me, who come to see me. Um, but do I get criticism from patients, colleagues, friends, families? Yes, absolutely. Um, but I think those who actually truly know me um, really respect what I have to say, and they understand um, that what I say comes from a, a source of truth. There's you no know, the so-called experts uh, have caused children in this country really to, uh, to fall behind in education. There's a whole study out today about how poorly the public schools are doing. And uh, well, just, you just wreaked havoc on these kids. What do you make of that? I have three boys myself, ranging from they were, the oldest was in, in college and the youngest was in kindergarten when the lockdowns began. So I saw mm-hmm. it, um, you know, from very different levels of life. And of course, you know, the initial lockdowns from taking kids out of school, you have to understand that. We had no idea how this virus affected children. If it was influenza, it'd be deadly. But we learned pretty quickly that it wasn't that severe with children. So those two-week lockdowns or pulling them out of school, that's all they should have been, a very short-lived approach. But as you see, we still have about a third of kids not back in full-time school. And, uh, and you know, there's crime is up everywhere. You're seeing more um, adolescent crime going up. You're seeing them fall behind in their education, the mask-wearing especially the younger children, they require facial recognition for their development. Um, There's just going to be the repercussions of a lot of these restrictions and these continued restrictions are really going to outlast the virus. And the American Academy of Pediatrics just came out in the last 24 hours still recommending children two years and up remain masked until they're vaccinated. Unbelievable. I'm I'm trying to formulate and wrap my head around that because I... I just don't agree. And I have to believe that they have the children's best interests in heart. But I think that people are stuck in this perceived level of danger. And it's not paralleling reality. The emergency is over, especially when it comes for children. Well, I, I think the title of your book says it right. Panic attack, playing politics with science in the fight against COVID-19. I don't see any other answer. Folks, you can get this great book, Panic Attack, Playing Politics with Science in the Fight Against COVID-19 by Dr. Nicole Sapphire. Most of you know who she is. She's, very, she's got a lot of integrity. And it's nice to meet you. I wish you all the best with your book. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate being on. All right. God bless. We'll be right back. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest growing organizations in America. Now over 2 million conservative members strong 
and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. I don't think guys on TV necessarily understand radio, Mr. Producer, do you? Particularly when they don't do the hard work of three hours of being on radio. Rush used to always say his number one love, other than family and God and country, was radio. He didn't much like doing TV. And people who don't do this and haven't done it for a long time don't comprehend what Rush meant. Now, Rush and I were like brothers. David, his brother, and I are like brothers. Nobody's replacing Rush on any corporate platform. And Dan Bongino made that abundantly clear, as I'm sure the iHeart folks will make abundantly clear. Uh, Sexton, and honestly, I don't, I'm not trying to be rude. I don't remember the other guy's name. Clay, what is it? Travis. So nobody's replacing Rush any more than anybody would be replacing any of you and what you're doing with your families. So there's not a Rush Limbaugh slot. There is a noon to 3 p.m. slot, Eastern Time, and then the time is whatever it is, wherever you live. And basically, it's been bifurcated. That is... One company went in one direction, another company went in another direction. So it's utterly dishonest to mislead an audience, a TV audience or any other audience, and talk about, hey, you know who's replacing Rush and getting in Rush's slot? Nobody. 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 So it's important that everybody be honest. The world's going to go on. I'm sure Rush is looking down, laughing at all of us. <laughs> I guarantee it. Um, and uh, that's the way it works. The business is changing all the time. Because your listening habits are changing. So the smart companies are trying to adjust to it. Here I am, little old me, sitting in my slot. And happy to be here, Mr. Producer. Happy to be here. But I just wanted you folks to know that uh, Rush filled a slot that in terms of its reach and size with the number of stations doesn't exist anymore. And so, uh, and yet, it's a very, very important time, noon to three. 
and um, and it's very, very important what takes place in that time slot. I'm on all these stations. I'm on iHeart stations, Westwood One stations, Intercom stations, Salem stations. Uh oh, sure I missed a bunch of companies. I apologize. Which is very rare. But it's a tremendous honor to be associated with all these platforms, all these affiliates, all these broadcast companies that have faith in me. Some of them are independents. They own one station on WABC. We have a terrific owner. He owns one station right now. But there's also people who own one station in much smaller markets. So we, we try to work with everybody and try and... Uh, do the right thing in order to get this program in the air and heard as many as possible. We're also on satellite. We're also on the Mark Levin app and the iHeart app. We also have streaming. What am I missing? We also have our podcast. We're everywhere. You can't escape us. You can't escape us. There are many more listeners to conservative talk radio than there are people who watch cable TV. Even the biggest cable TV show, Sean Hannity knows this. I have more listeners on this program than the top cable shows on TV, including Fox. It's it's not a put down, I'm explaining the the businesses because I'm involved in all of them. And that's why when movements are generated, whether it's the Tea Party movement and other movements, even, even the Trump movement, it's given voice and impetus in talk radio. Because talk radio is where the action is. And it's where the activists are. I used this platform right here to support Mike Lee as a Tea Party candidate, to support Marco Rubio back then. I don't even think he'd return my call today, but Marco Rubio is a candidate. To support Ted Cruz as a candidate. I can't remember everybody, but you understand. I couldn't have done that on TV. I couldn't have done that on TV. I was involved, and happily so, in giving advice to some of the conservatives in the House to get, get rid of, uh, I'll have another drink, Boehner can't do that on TV. This is so unique. It's so unbelievable. I've been drawn to radio. It's interesting. Even though I was never a professional radio host or what have you, broadcaster. As a little kid, I would listen to radio. My transistor radio. I'd listen to Bob Grant in New York. So many others. Philadelphia, I'd listen to... Well, back WCAU. I'm on, I'm on WCAU. It's now WPHT. Bernie Herman, Joel A. Spivak Jr., others in Philadelphia, Dominic Quinn, and so forth. I, just, I was immersed in this, listening to it. Even Larry King. When Larry King did a radio show where he just interviewed people, it was actually quite compelling. When he got into politics, and you know, obviously it wasn't, but. When I was young, it was compelling. And on my old buddy, Bill Corsair. But he would be on like, I'm trying to remember, like midnight to five in the morning. 
and I would stay up midnight to 5 in the morning. I was 14, 15 years old, and I would wait for hours on the phone with a, with a dial, dialing and dialing. And it wasn't even a push button. It was dialing, dialing, dialing. I'd go up to the attic, take long cord on the uh, landline phone so I wouldn't wake anybody. But he was great. It was a blast. So I understand this, uh, this, this business a lot. And I really do embrace it and love it. And the funny thing is, I didn't really think about getting into it when I reached a certain age. I was reluctant to get into it. Honestly, it was Hannity that pulled me, kicking and screaming, so to speak. It was Rush who brought me in as the director of his legal division. There will only be one Rush Limbaugh, period. But there's only one Dan Bongino, too. And one Travis, again, I don't know names. I'm not trying to pick on people. What is it? Clay Travis and so forth. Not a put down, sir. I just don't know everybody. I live in my own cultural bubble. It's true. It's true. And you have different tastes. Look, not everybody likes me. Isn't that shocking, Mr. Producer? <laughs> Why does he yell? Why does he do this? Why does he do that? You're not going to please everybody. That's the other thing you have to learn. Just your wife. You want to please her because otherwise, you know. But you understand the point. All right. I don't want to play anymore, Joe Biden. Oh, here's what I want to get to. This just broke. Fox News, Thomas Barabi, Black Lives Matter co-founder Patrice Collier's to step down amid questions about finances. Isn't that amazing? It's a Marxist organization. They hate our country. They're backed by billionaires and millionaires. She's worth millions. The organization has tens of millions. They don't go into these inner city areas to try and help people with education or crime or anything of the sort because they're Marxists. And yet they're promoted. And here, this co-founder is a multimillionaire. She's stepping down. Collier's 37 told the Associated Press today that she was leaving the position to focus on other projects. Why, are they going to burn down other cities? I'm just curious. Including the release of her second book and a television deal with Warner Brothers. You see what I mean? These corporations, look at this. She held the top post at Black Lives Matter Global Network Foundation for more than five years. She said she had created the necessary bones and foundation at the organization and felt the time is right to leave. In other words, she was kicked out. She asserted that her exit was planned for more than a year and was unrelated to scrutiny regarding her personal finances. So Warner Brothers, ladies and gentlemen, you should not see any movie that is produced or paid for by Warner Brothers. Sad. Used to be some kind of a movie studio. She said, those were right-wing attacks that tried to discredit my character, and I don't operate off what the right thinks of me. Hey, idiot. Those are called facts. Facts. Collier's finances drew attention in April after the New York Post reported, that's a real newspaper, by the way, that she had purchased four homes for $3.2 million. Four homes for $3.2 million? 
The report prompted Hawk Newsom, the head of Black Lives Matter, Greater New York City. He's the one that said, we're going to burn the system down. Another genius. To call for an independent investigation into the foundation's finances. And I'm sure, Cy Vance, the rogue, punk district attorney in Manhattan, I'm sure he's really looking into Black Lives Matter. There's no question about that. I'm sure the Attorney General of New York's doing exactly the same thing. But of course, his Black Lives Matter of Greater New York is not affiliated with Collier's Black Lives Global Matters. Let's see. In April, the foundation disclosed Colliers had received a total of $120,000 in compensation between 2013 and 2019. Isn't she also the co-founder who ran up expensive bills at hotels and restaurants? Yes, she is. How do I get this gig, Mr. Badu? Maybe I ought to, you know, be promoting overthrowing our country, looting, arson, Marxism. Look at Bernie Sanders. He's another one. He's a very wealthy Marxist. Very wealthy Marxist. It's amazing. Trickle-down Marxism, I would call it. Wouldn't you, Mr. Producer? I think it is. What a bunch of a-holes. I'll be right back. Mark Lovin. AMAC, the Association of Mature American Citizens, is one of the fastest-growing organizations in America, now over 2 million conservative members strong, and I'm one of them. AMAC believes in and stands up for the values that we constitutional conservatives care about. More than talk, AMAC fights. A full-time presence in Washington, AMAC pushes back against reckless spending, disasters like Medicare for All, and the expanding reach of the federal government. And beyond advocacy, joining AMAC gives you access to a wealth of benefits and discounts, including special member-only rates on car insurance, travel discounts, cell phone plans, and a hell of a lot more. And if that's not enough, you'll get AMAC's bi-monthly magazine full of insightful articles on issues that matter to most of us, we conservatives. As I said, I'm an AMAC member, and you should be too. Join today at amac.us. That's A-M-A-C dot U-S. Stop supporting the liberal agenda that the other 50-plus organization has been pushing for. Join AMAC instead. A-M-A-C dot U-S. All right, I won't be back till Tuesday. Richie Z from WPHT in my hometown of Philadelphia will be here. But I want to thank you, folks. I want to thank you for your patriotism. I'm greatly blessed to be here. Again, thanks to you. Uh, I see here that Bernie Sanders, and Mr. Producer, likes uh, all kinds of weird stuff and demands it as a good little Marxist. Uh, he likes a king-size bed. Uh, he likes a blue blue covers. Did you know this? I would have thought he'd want bright red with a hammer and sickle on it, but apparently he likes a bath. <coughs> Excuse me, I'm getting choked up. He likes a bathtub. Maybe he likes a little ducky and bubbles and all the rest of it. The guy's a freak and a fraud. He's an old red. That's what he is. Really, it's shocking that he has any influence, but apparently he does. All right. What else here? I don't want to get in any more subjects. I hope you will take the time at some point over the next four days to jump in. 
I mean, look at these people. They're just flesh and blood, and they're nuts. And they're trying to control our lives, and this is what we have to confront, okay? In American Marxism, you can get it on Amazon.com, Barnes & Noble has a site, Walmart has a site, Target has a site, Books a Million has a site, Sam Clubs has a site, BJ, they tell mention everybody, mention everybody. All right, I think I mentioned almost everybody. But that's not the point. What's between the covers of the book? And by the way, Bernie should be very proud. American Marxism is in red with a hammer and a sickle. You know what the most important part of this book is, Mr. Producer? Page 277. You know what's on page 277? In loving (laughs) memory, excuse me, in loving memory of Barney. And a photo of Barney at the back. That's page 277. That's where the book ends. Also, just so you know, because you don't have it in front of you, there are hundreds and hundreds of endnotes if you want to check out original sources as we go through this together. I want you to have a wonderful weekend. Again, I won't be here. We're all going to remember what Memorial Day is all about. And those of you Gold Star parents and families who've lost loved ones, several of you who are dear friends of mine, John and Sean, among others. I just want you to know how much we do care about you folks, and we will always remember your, you folks. And uh, just keep in mind, the vast majority of the American people have nothing but sympathy and prayers for you. That's what Memorial Day is all about, honoring and respecting those who gave their lives for this country. This is a fantastic country. Fantastic country. And these people died for us. We salute our armed forces, police officers, firefighters, and emergency personnel, all the men and women who have served this country and those who gave their lives. Thank you. I'll see you on Tuesday. Be well. God bless you.